Morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is dedicated in loving memory of Stephen Wagner. Yankov Ben Mordechai on his Askara, sponsored by his children, Nancy and Robert. Hazako Baruch. Breakfast in the Class is dedicated also in loving memory of Shaul Daba. Sponsored by Marcel Daba and Steve Daba. And Breakfast in the Class as well is dedicated as Sudat Wada for continued health of his Hakmen Meyam, sponsored anonymously. And of course, for the Rifuash of Yeshaya Ben Lora. Hazako Baruch. My friends, you know, there's a different job in each part of the Torah. Each mitzvah, each time has a different job. And the job of the month of Elul is not the same as the job of Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur. They are separate things. And I'd like to speak to you a little bit today about what the power and what the point of Elul is really all about. You know, on Rosh Hashanah and on Yom Kippur, we have a mitzvah of Teshuvah. The challenge is that there's so much to accomplish on those days that you can't, you can't possibly do Teshuvah in synagogue on Yom Kippur. There's not enough time, there's not enough uh, uh, quiet to be able to do that soul searching. The job of Elul can be explained by the following example. I don't know if any of you ever opened up a cookbook, but if you ever opened up a cookbook, you'll notice that there's two signs, there's two times on each page. One time on the page tells you how long you have to cook, bake, boil, broil the object. But then there's another time, and that time is called prep time. So I'll give you an example of what prep time looks like. I remember once, I decided, I got a juke in my head, I decided I want to make etrog jelly. Has anyone here ever made etrog jelly or etrog jam? Right, never? I decided one day, I had a, one year I had a lot of etrogim, I'm like, great. I'm going to make etrog jam, that's going to be my thing. I'll give it out to people in the Mishloach Manor, I don't know, all right. Yeah? I open up, the, I open up uh, whatever the web, website, I type in, make etrog jelly. I was like, brilliant, it says, take etrogs and submerge them in water. I was like, fantastic, I can do that, that's easy. I'm in. And then I read the next line, it says, for three weeks. <laughs> I said, I'm out. <laughs> three weeks, who could wait that long to make something? But the interesting thing was, that after you went through the prep time of three weeks with the etrogim sitting in the water, the rest of the process, take the water, take the etrogim out, ba -ba -ba -ba, boil it like this, mix it like that, that didn't take very much time at all. That was actually a very quick process. No, I did not do it. I was not having uh, etrogs sitting in water around the house with a bunch of kids for three weeks. That was not happening, okay? But the point is, my friends, that there's many things in life that the prep time actually takes much more time um, than the process itself of the creation of an object. If you think about this idea, you'll realize a very deep truth about much of Judaism. You know, the Gemara tells us that there was a convert that came to Hillel. He says, you know, I was just at Shammai's house. He says, oh really, what'd you do there? He says, I asked him if he could convert me while I was standing on one leg. Hillel says, how'd that go? The guy tells him, well, Shammai shoved me out with the, uh, with the Amata Benyan, with the measuring stick. He says, could you convert me if I st while I'm standing on one leg? Could you teach me the whole Torah if I'm standing on one leg? 
He lets his shul no problem. Sit down. Ah, gotcha. No, he says, he lets his, he lets his shul no problem. <laughs> he says, That which is hateful to you, don't do to your friend. Our rabbis interpret this line in Aramaic, that which you don't like done to you, don't do to someone else. They translate that. Which mitzvah in the Torah is that? Love your friend like yourself. You don't want someone to punch you in the face? Don't punch him in the face. You don't want someone to steal from you? Don't steal from them. Says Rabbi, says Hillel, everything else in the Torah, idach pirusha, is an explanation, is an outcropping of this mitzvah. If you do this, you'll do everything else. Why? Because all the mitzvot, if you loved him, you're not going to charge him interest. If you loved him, you're not going to try and uh, encroach on his business or on his land. If you loved him, you're not going to lie to him. You're not going to hire false witnesses. So in that mitzvah is kind of included all of the other mitzvot. That's what Hillel was communicating to this convert. Rashi actually takes it one step further. He says, well, how in the world does that teach you about the mitzvot between man and God? Between man and fellow man, I get it. You know, what you don't want done to you, don't do to your friend. But how does that help you put on tefillin? And Rashi says something beautiful. He says, who is your best friend in this world but God? If you don't want something done to you, if you ask someone for something and they ignore you, they don't listen to you, they, uh, instead of paying back your kindnesses with gratitude, they pay back your kindnesses uh, uh, with abandonment. If you don't like that done to you, don't do it to your best friend on high, to Borei Olam. That's how Rashi explains it. But my friends, I want to point out something magnificent. If a person wants to work on all the mitzvot that he's getting wrong, to fix all the averot that he's getting wrong, it's a very big job. But sometimes, if I spend the time in the prep, I don't have to spend the time on the job itself. And again, I want, to, I want you to understand this. There's a process called the automation of business. So as an example, let's say I sell, uh, I don't know, phones. Every time I buy a phone, I have to write down how much I bought it for. I have to write down how much I sold it for. I need to write down how much it cost me for the marketing, how much it cost me for this. I don't find out the shipping. Everything is on pieces of paper. It takes me a very, very long time to do each and everything. And you know what? I leave a lot of money on the table because I forgot to collect them here. I forgot to send the bill to that one. I, you know, I forgot to file my taxes in time. When your business is automated, it takes a very long time to build out this process. It's expensive to buy the program that automates your business. But once you've made the investment in the automation of your business, everything else happens like butter. It happens, it's smooth like silk. You don't need to do the work. The minute the phones come in, you know every phone that's on your shelf. In fact, you even know where in the store you have the phones, the chargers. It tells you D4 automatically. The minute you sell the phone, it generates a bill. The minute every day, everything happens by itself. Said Hillel to, the, uh, to this convert, if you could generate in yourself a change which was internal, if you could prepare the ground where I just don't do things that I wouldn't want done to me, all the mitzvot, hundreds of them, they line up and they fall like dominoes. My friends, Changing individual acts can take forever and ever and ever. 
But when we change, when we prepare the ground in a different way, then all those things that are so hard to get to, they happen automatically. So I'll give you an example. Let's say a person realizes that at the core of, his, of the mistakes that he makes is the fact that he loses his temper. So he thinks he has a bad relationship with his wife, he has a bad relationship with his boss, has a bad relationship with his co- co-workers, he has a bad relationship with his brothers, he thinks, wow, look how many problems I have. How many problems does he really have? One. He needs to work on his patience. The process, the time that we're given in Elul is the prep time so that when it comes time to do the act of Teshuvah, it happens instantaneously. I explained this idea once. I said that we say in Silichot a very strange language. Ben Adam Alechanirdam Kum Kiravitachanunim Shifoksicha Dirosh Silicha. Shifoksicha means spill your words out in front of Hashem. Dirosh Silicha means and demand forgiveness. What the heck does that mean? You can't demand someone forgive you. Could you imagine how that would go down? You're fighting with your wife. You did something wrong. You missed something. You missed the birthday. You didn't pick up the kids when you should have. She had to go do that. You know, you were supposed to do this, supposed to do that. Cause all this extra work. You come home and you're like, I demand that you forgive me. How do you think that's going? You're sleeping on the couch. You're making your own dinner for a month. You're getting your own personal Elul and Yom Kippur. <laughs> right? You understand? Right? That's not going to... You can't demand forgiveness. You can ask for forgiveness. You can beg for forgiveness. What does dirosh selicha mean? And the answer is, my friends, that you can never demand forgiveness with your mouth. But when a person illustrates, someone's upset at their husband, they're upset at their wife, and the husband really takes it to heart, and he changes. He changes. He doesn't say, oh, forgive me. You know that guy that calls you on Yom Kippur, Erev Yom Kippur, oh, forgive me. You're not calling me because you care about me. You're not calling me because you feel bad about what you did. You're calling me because you're scared of Yom Kippur. You know what? Go ask Yom Kippur for forgiveness. Don't come to me. You understand? However, when the person changes on a fundamental level, they're now arriving instead of 20 minutes late, five minutes early every time. They're now showing you that they're being sensitive to your needs. They're now showing you, but with their, with their actions, with their thoughts, that they're preoccupied with, with you. They're, they're putting you first all the time. At a certain time, the actions that I've done, the change that I've brought about, that demands forgiveness. Because at that stage, to not forgive is petty on, beha- on behalf of the person who's holding on to the grudge. When do you go from being a person who doesn't have to forgive to being a person who's holding a grudge when the other person has actually changed. At that stage, that's derosh selicha. Okay? So the work, the hard work happens in this preparation. And then, so to speak, so many things, they fall by the wayside. They happen, much, they happen in a much easier way. Let me give you uh, an expression, an idea of how this works in real life. <clears throat> there was a um, there was a uh, uh, a child who comes to his father, and the child says, the, the, "A child who comes, uh, uh, he was born to his to, to his parents. Immediately after the child is born, the parents realize 
This child, unfortunately, is a special needs child. He needs a very special school. He needs something different. He needs a different type of a, a, a gisha, an approach. He needs them to take care of him, to understand him in a way maybe that a regular school wouldn't have the capacity or the love or the patience to be able to give. They're just not built for it. They go to Rav Shlomo Zalman Arbach. And Rav Shlomo Zalman never spoke about himself. He was very humble. Never. Never spoke about himself. Never referred to things that he did. Quiet. The one time they remember him talking about himself. <coughs> the parents came to him and they said, where should we send our child? And he said, there's a certain school up in the north of Israel that they're doing remarkable work with children who have special needs. To, uh, to help them develop, to help them maximize their potential, to help them live a fulfilling life, you should send your child there. The couple comes back a week later and they're heartbroken. They say, Rabbi, we tried to get the kid to go. We showed him the place. He refuses to go. He doesn't want to leave Yerushalayim, doesn't want to leave his friends, doesn't want to go somewhere else. We know it's the best thing for him, but he, he refuses to go. Rav Shlomo Zalman says, bring him to me. The kid comes into the, into the room. Shlomo Zalman stands up and he says, what an honor to meet you. He says, I want you to know who I am, he tells the boy. My name, he says, is Rabbi Shlomo Zalman Orbach. I'm the head of the Bet Din. I'm one of the biggest rabbis of this generation. All the rabbis, when they have big questions, you know who they send them to? They send them to me. So I'm in charge of all the rabbis. This is Shlomo Zalman to say this, he was probably throwing up inside. And he says, and I have a very big job I need to ask of you. The kid says, absolutely. He says, there's a yeshiva up in the north uh, that I understand that you visited. He said, yes. He says, and I told your parents to send you there. And the kid says, yes. He says, and I'm going to ask you for a favor. Please. There's a lot of boys in that school, a lot of things going on. I need someone who's going to be in that school to take care of that school to make sure that everything is kosher the right way, that everyone's keeping Shabbat in the right way, that people are making their berachot, that no one's speaking Lashon Hara. I need someone to take care of that yeshiva, to be like a rabbi in that yeshiva. I would like to appoint you for that job. He tells this special needs boy. The boy stands up. He's all of a sudden six feet tall. He says, mission accepted. You know, he's ready to go. 100%. Years later, the parents came to Rav Shlomo Zalman. And they told him, you know, even when it came time for vacation, they couldn't convince the boy to come home. Because the boy felt, who's going to take care of the yeshiva when I'm not there? Who's going to make sure that things are running who's gonna, when I'm not there? The pasuk says, Make for yourself judges, make for yourself policemen enforcers that make sure that the, the right thing gets done. But my friends, Sometimes you appoint a shofet and a, and a shoter. You put someone in charge of something because you need them for the job. And sometimes, my friends, you appoint someone to a position of authority, of responsibility, not because the job needs them, but because they need the job. Sometimes a tremendous amount of effort can be avoided with a small amount of preparation recognizing which places, which things we get into where we're constantly not doing the right thing. Pre -pre Preparation looks like avoiding those things, avoiding those people. 
Preparation looks like recognizing that there's certain things that I do wrong all the time. So what do I need to do in order to be able to, I realize that I'm fighting with my wife over, fighting with my children over something, fighting with someone at work over something. What, why are we fighting? And sometimes I can realize that the fight is not actually about what we're fighting about. It's that they're not comfortable with something. And if you could change something which is irrelevant, which has nothing to do with this, this goes away. And I need, I need to make this point abundantly clear. There are things that we struggle our whole lives to change. And the reason is because we're trying to deal with the problem frontally. And we're not recognizing that there's a backdoor entrance that we could go through that makes the problem disappear completely. Disappear completely. But it takes prep. The Pasuk says, God says, Come, let's make a cheshbon. Let's, let's work this out between me and you. Borei Olam is ready. He's happy to work with you during this time to be able to get over the problems that you have. A person I know doesn't go to the gym. He's getting very, very overweight. He's an elderly person. And I said to him, you know, it's not healthy. The guy said, what, Rabbi, what do you want from my life? He says, you know how much a gym costs? He doesn't have the money. I said, that's the problem. That's the problem. You know, we'll get somebody to help you with the gym membership. We'll go speak to the place, uh, the gym. You understand? So here's a guy that we could be fighting with him his whole life about getting healthy. And again, at that stage, it's an unhealthy issue. It's not about looks. It's not about, you know, fe you know feeling like you look great. That's not the point here. The point is it's an unhealthy thing. He can't carry that weight at that age. And he knows, and his doctor's telling him he needs to exercise. What did it take? It took a conversation with the gym. So the <clears throat> irony is that all this time, the family, other people, the doctor, they're all talking to him. Who did they need to talk to? They need to talk to the gym. They got the price down. The guy went, Baruch Hashem. He started a healthier lifestyle and slowly but surely got to a much healthier place. Sometimes you're talking to the wrong person. Sometimes you're talking to the wrong thing. Means that a lot of times there's something in, in uh, history called the Trojan horse. Now we know the term from, uh, from viruses, correct? We know this idea. You have a Trojan horse. What's the virus? Someone sends you an email. It pretends you know, that it's giving you. But this idea is not, it's not new. Trojan horse is from a long time ago. There was a war between uh, two great armies. It was a stalemate. They couldn't break the defenses. They couldn't get in the city. So they called them up to the city. They said, we surrender. We would like to show as a sign of our surrender of peace. We would like to give a gift to the king of your city. What's the gift? They give him a beautiful decorative horse. They wheel it in. Beautiful. It's a massive sculpture. They wheel the horse in. Okay, he takes the gift, the horse. They bring the horse in the city. They shut the doors. In, that, in the middle of the night, what happens? There's a trap door in the bottom of the horse. They, they open the trap door. The soldiers of this enemy invader was in the horse. They killed the guards, opened the gates, they flooded the city and won the war. The Trojan horse idea is that sometimes something could come in looking like a gift and actually it's going to destroy everything. And the only way to stop it is to not let it in the city in the first place. There are many free things that we get offered that wind up hurting us very badly. 
free. You can't afford it later. Because you know it was free the first month. And they hit you with the fees, you know, for the rest of the time. Or it was free in the beginning. It was easy. But the amount of time it's taking from you. Okay? Therefore, the Pasuk says, unlike in the cities of old, where did they put the Bet Din, the courthouse? Where did they put the police station? They put it in the town square, in the middle of town. In the Torah, it says, no. Where do we put this? At the gate of the city. Because once you've let it in already, it's too late. It's already in. It's already got in. The prep work of Elul is not only on trying to fix a bunch of leaks. It's in recognizing, what can I do? What can I change that will cause a cataclysmic shift? Uh, to, sorry, a, a, uh, a global shift, excuse me, in my, in my mitzvah observance, in my treating of others. What, can I, what things can I do? Some people, they have a lot of stress in their life. You know what they need to do in order to get rid of impatience? They need to meditate. They need to develop a system for staying calm. Some people realize, you know, think to themselves that they have all these dreams and it's never enough. They're always stressed, always stressed. You know what they need to do? They need to manage their expectations. They're already making enough money to live in an apartment, to have a car, send their kids to school, to have food, have clothes. They're just not making enough money for the second home or the third home. So they give themselves a heart attack for the extras, for the first class ticket. Prep work says, what's going on? Let me take a look at everything that's going on here. And you know what? Maybe solving the problem is changing the goal. One more time. Maybe solving the problem is changing the goal. All of that is the wisdom of what Elul is all about, okay? It's not only about working on individual problems, it's about recognizing systemic failures, putting guards and judges by the gate of my personality, of my persona, and figuring out which, what am I letting in that's rotting the system? And what if I kept out would actually allow for me, allow me for time to heal, to develop in a way where these things, it's not that I'm dealing with them all the time and winning, they just stop coming up. May Hashem bless us to have the foresight, the wisdom, the courage to be able to create lasting change, to be able to invest in prep work. Baruch Adonai